Hey, everybody. This is Frankie from the Breakpoint Podcast. We want to thank you all for tuning in to Marcus and I discussing our love and passion for the game of tennis. Your engagement and support goes a long way to helping this podcast continue to grow. Please be sure to give us a follow, rate our podcast on our social channels, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, or any other place that you get your podcasts. And on social media, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast 7, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod 7, LinkedIn, and of course, our website, podpage.com forward slash break dash point dash podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you're the first to know when there's a new episode drop and more people like you can find our podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, and my co-host Marcus. And on today's episode, we are going to be reviewing the final of the Australian Open 2024. Men's champion is, drumroll please, Yannick Sinner. Yeah, man. Yeah, Sinner comes away with the victory, uh, winning a thrilling final. Uh, coming back from two sets to love down, Daniil Medvedev becomes the first player in ATP history to blow a th- <laughs> two sets to love lead in two major finals. Not only the same slam, but the first one to ever do that in like across any slams altogether, uh, which Marcus and I will get into later because I do think that that's indicative of something else that's going wrong for Daniil. But Marcus, Yannick Sinner overcomes the hurdle i think earlier than you and i had even predicted and me being one of his more optimistic fans optimistic. uh yeah uh, yeah i i i don't deny it but that's fine i'll do my spiel later uh but marcus i kind of want to hear from you both you and i just for context for the viewers did get up at like the crack of before dawn i got up at 5 a.m eastern marcus was up god bless him at 3 a.m mountain time so we caught the last four sets basically um and watched highlights for the first set so we have a pretty good idea of what happened but marcus why don't you tell us a little bit about what you saw because there's a lot to talk about here I mean, well, first off, congrats to Yannick Sinna. This was an amazing, amazing tournament from start to finish. We were just talking offline, Frankie, about the ability uh, for him to kind of manage his time on court is what led him to success later on in this tournament. He took care of business early on, didn't drop a set, served unbelievably all tournament, one of the most improved shots that we've seen recently in recent years um, from him in general on the tour. Uh, it would be a disservice if we didn't mention his win against Novak Djokovic in the semifinals, which was unbelievable. Um, really, Novak, something that was wrong with Novak, but also Yannick made it seem like something was wrong with him because of the way he was playing. Stepped on his throat, gave him no chances, even after losing that third set where he had a um, where he had a match point. Still just came out right out the gates in that fourth set, just kind of put the clamps on Novak, didn't let him, you know, do cocaine Novak like he usually does. And, uh, you know, won that match, which is in and of itself an amazing accomplishment to beat Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open. Not many people have done it. He's won that tournament, I think, God, 10 plus times. So that in and of itself was amazing. And Frankie, what we saw this morning for us was, 
I actually wasn't going to wake up when I saw, I, I woke up at three, I saw a score. I was like, he's down two sets love, probably not going to do it. I was like, you know what? Let me just go watch a third, see what happens. Because I had a gut feeling that med was going to gas out at some point. And we were in that sense, correct. But also it's Jan's ability to stay mentally tough, which is what I am most impressed about. Obviously from a game perspective, we knew he had the talent, right? And he's improved his body, which is shown he right here right five five set tournament um best of five set tournament he's able to kind of hang through those older those those later rounds but his ability mentally to stay tough and really problem solve is what stood out to me and especially against a guy like daniel who is one of the more i mean we were talking about it this morning is one of the most brilliant tacticians this game has ever seen i think considering... he's i think he's the most brilliant i don't think that's debatable to be honest but there yeah. you go. So, and, uh, you know, considering what he has with him, I mean, he came out and started, I mean, Daniil Medvedev coming to net, the only time that guy ever came to net was to shake hands. And now all of a sudden he's coming to net in these first two sets to like volley and drop shot. And we're like, what is going on? Uh, Jan figured him out. Jan said, you know, what? I'm going to stay in this match. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to increase the first surface percentage that needed to happen and then push Daniil back. Um, and then kind of angle him out a little bit more. He started using more angles specifically on the forehand cross court. And he just stayed tough and stayed in there. And uh, Frankie, I think I, I think that a lot of this has to do, we have to, we cannot ignore Darren Cahill's involvement in this like rise of Yannick Sinner. This is unbelievable what has happened since he fired his previous team, brought on his new team and brought on Darren Cahill. It's, it's unbelievable what we're seeing. I'm, I'm super happy because now I think we've got a big four, which we're going to touch on. But Frankie, your thoughts on this morning's match? Because I know that you're probably running around New York City naked with a Corota boy suit on. Uh, that's not incorrect. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm really I am honestly like so happy and so just like super proud of him in a weird way. Um, I feel like, you know, I've been following Jan for probably like. I don't know what is it like six years now <laughs> like seven years um like seeing him play and being sort of just like mesmerized at his play style and how he plays and seeing and thinking like dude if this guy just puts it together this is easily the best italian tennis player ever like no doubt and i think he already is quite frankly <laughs> no offense to panetta and nicola piantrangeli from like the 50s but no. yeah. um I think what Jan is doing is really, quite frankly, unbelievable to be doing this at 22. Uh, I mean, I wrote a few things down that stood out to me, particularly sort of reflecting on the past few months with Jan. And obviously, I, in the preview of this whole season, said that I think that Jan is going to have a Novak Djokovic 2011 like jump this season just because I saw what was happening at the end of last season and I was confident that he would be able to sort of apply it I did not think it would happen this fast by any means. I did not think he would win the Australian Open. I thought it would take more towards the end of the year. Um, I thought that, you know, Carlos being returning to full health would sort of be the catalyst here. But, you know, I, I, I think for Sinner, there's two things that I would highlight that Darren Cahill has really perfected with him more than Ricardo Piatti, his previous coach, did. Uh, number one, his serve. He experimented with it, and it was like, 
I sent Marcus an athletic article. They had a great article about Yannick Center that you guys should all read. Um, it was a one step back, two steps forward situation where he did take a step back. His ranking fell by a few uh, spots, fell to like 15 in the world. His serve did not look as good. But ultimately now, I think that Jan has a top 10 serve, top five serve in the world, quite frankly. And I think, in my opinion, I think he has the best second serve in the world by a significant margin right now. Um, the way that he's able to attack, the number of second serve aces that I saw him have today alone, and the way that he's able to just like get super aggressive sometimes and not be scared by it, I think is really, really unique. And it's something that we've killed Carlo killed, quote unquote, uh, Carlos for is his ability is his inability to have an effective second serve and seemingly like a weakness that was exposed by Zverev in this very tournament. So I think that just goes to show like Jan has this base layer of like, even if he's like not firing on the baseline, which is extraordinarily rare because he's probably the best pure ball striker on the tour, not named Novak Djokovic he is going to have a really effective serve that's just going to be able to help him extraordinarily over his career. So I think that is number one. And I think number two, and it's something that we really saw against Novak, Yannick Sinner has become very quietly one of the best returners in the world. In fact, statistically, he is the best second serve returner in the world. He is extraordinarily effective at taking advantage of his opponent's weaker second serves and using that to immediately go on the offensive on points. And that's why he has the highest second serve percentage win on the entire tour, right? And we saw that like when you are taking advantage of your opponent's second serves, it makes them feel that much more pressure, that much more tense on their first serves to get it in. Because they know that if they go up for a second serve, no matter how good it is, that ball's getting tattooed at your feet, which Jan is continuously doing. And now he's also taking advantage of his length um, and his frame in a way that like, he is able to reach out and get balls back, particularly against Novak, was getting balls back that Novak did not know what to do with. Novak was not used to those balls coming back. Yeah, we need to um, recognize that Jan's movement is something that my our, our good friend and podcast guest occasionally, uh, Pete Suzios, brought up when we were kind of texting about the match against Novak. His movement has looked unbelievable, like something that I had I noticed a significant improvement from even from a month or two ago. I mean, he was. Anything Novak threw at him, he not only got there, but got there and put it back with authority, whether he be in like a full split or just purely on the run, just like bashing it right back at him. Um, he he neutralized a lot of, you know, what Novak was able to do with him because I think and, and against Rublev, too, because I think Daniil's a little bit different because Daniil doesn't really hit that hard and kind of puts you under that sort of pressure. Uh, but like someone like an Andre Rublev, who's just ripping every shot. I mean, Jan's just there, right, left, right, left, bang, 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 just right back at you. And I think that that is something that is really, for me, this like the, the second serve stuff and the serve. Um, and, and the return of serve, very, very important because we know the, how much important those two shots are in tennis. But what what drives what makes me scared for the rest of the tour, including really, I mean, the top four, because I think Jan has 
right now is best player in the world is his ability to neutralize because he did not have this previously and now he's starting to figure that out and he's taking you know he can go from defense to offense in one ball right on a on a running forehand or even backhand at this point the way he rips it across court so um this is this is really really scary for the rest of the tour like this is he's not... nine and one he's nine and one against the top 10 right now he's he's beaten Djokovic the last three out of three four out of times. four he's beaten Daniil four times in a row he's beaten Carlos multiple times as well like I, this I, is I mean, this is scary man this is what I we mean, were hoping for for years and now it's finally coming to fruition I mean in terms of the movement I I was when I was watching the Novak and Sinner match I was like oh my god He's Novaking him, <laughs> like the Literally. way that he is, the way that he was open stance splitting and sliding on a hard court and returning every ball back and refusing to give up that baseline and refusing to step back. I was like, I'm watching Novak. This yeah, is exactly you're... what Novak. He was using that balance that he has that has always been his best trait. By the way, no Sinner's best trait has always been that he is the best natural balance on the tour right next to Novak Djokovic because they come from that like ski background where they're very comfortable shifting their body weight around. It's, it's insanity how he's using it now. And I think what, you know, what, what, what differentiates Jan and it's funny, like we spoke about this a year and a half ago, man, now at this point when we had Pete on actually, and, uh, Pete, I, 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 you know, I can't remember if it was Pete or actually if it was um, uh, the uh, the guys over at um, Backyard. I want to get the name right. Oh, Win and Lucas, yes, yes, Win and Lucas. Um, I think it Backyard was Lucas Social. actually at Schoolyard Social. Thank you. That's what yeah. it is. I think it was Lucas that said that Carlos is better right now but he thinks that Sinner's ceiling is higher. And I agreed with him at the time, but I think we're seeing that kind of play out right now. Like, I think that Zion's body has just matured a little bit later than Carlos's was, and we're really seeing a dynamic player that we have not seen in a long time. And it's really, really just so exciting to have both Carlos and Sinner um, coming together like this and being Grand Slam champions, they don't have to worry about that hurdle anymore. They've both done it, and now it's just like let's have, let's enjoy. You know, like that is so exciting yeah. as a tennis fan to just be like, let's enjoy these two because you know that Carlos is going to come back and figure something out, and he's going to improve his game. If you don't think he's fired up watching this happen, like, listen, Carlos and and Jan are clearly best friends off the court, like. Carlos was the first one to post congratulations to Sinner after he won, you know, but like it is a relationship similar to Federer and Nadal where it's like, we're good friends off the court, but like, I still want to beat you, man. Like, let's push each other. We're entering into like potentially one of the greatest years of tennis that we've had in a very long time with Jan and Carlos peaking and we still have Novak. At a at a peak, I'm not saying it's his peak, but still at a peak. We cannot discount Novak for the rest of this year. Um, and and then you and then you've got guys like Daniil who's making the final. And theoretically, Frankie, we're gonna let's get into Daniil. Um, should have theoretically should have won this match. It was up two sets to love, six three six three. Um, I know you're shaking your head, but like you're up two sets to love. 
you just got to win one more, right? I know, I know Jan was favored. I know, Jan, I know what happened, but you're up two sets to love. You were right there at four all. If you just get one, one break there, if you just step it up, you give all I, your energy there, then you can win that match and win the tournament. He's up two sets to love. You just need one more. I hear you. I do. But I think it's a little bit different than like he was up a break or he was like love 40 or something to go up a break in that third set. Like he was never up a break in that third set. It was always like, to be honest, right? And we just spoke about this off, off, um, off pod like you and i both started to see in that second set like it was beginning to falter like yes. daniel was up 5-1 and sinner broke him and was close to breaking him again to even up the second set like the wheels were starting to come off and patrick McEnroe, i think intelligently pointed it out that like daniel is slowing down like the way and we this is something i actually wanted to talk about why was daniel able to break down sinner that much in those first two sets, set and a half, whatever we want to call it. And I think that the answer very simply is that the biggest thing that you can do to any tennis player, not just Jan, I mean, particularly Jan because he's a ball striker, but the biggest thing that you could do is disrupt timing. And that is what Daniil did. Daniil shortened the points, made everything go so, so quickly, was taking zero time between his serves and was just hogging the baseline taking balls on the rise, like approaching net as much as possible to shorten the window even more. And that was just completely bewildering Jan because that's obviously the exact opposite of what Daniel Medvedev usually does. And it took a while for Jan to flip. And Marcus, I think you can talk about what Jan did to make it flip and what he did to problem solve, which I think is the most impressive thing that Jan did today, as you mentioned. Um, but that, I think, was the key for Medvedev in breaking center down. Yeah, and he had the whatever juice he had in terms of kind of fast twitch muscle fibers and power out of his legs and kind of explosiveness to get to net, to hit harder, to serve big, um, he, he used up in those first two sets. And then by the time he got to the third, he was running on fumes. He was kind of hoping maybe – Jan would make a mistake at some point. You know, Jan would kind of have like a lazy service game and Daniil can kind of ride it out with a serve. But Jan obviously stayed mentally incredibly strong. But I think that that's kind of what hurt Daniil overall. I mean, those first two sets, he played incredible. He came to net. Uh, Daniil's also just a really weird guy to play against. I feel like it takes like a set or two to get used to him, which is why he's so good in two out of three set matches, because by the time that happens, you've already pretty much lost. Um, but if you're in a five set match, you can start to figure out, okay, this is how he hits. This is what, this is, these are his patterns. Um, this is what he can and can't do. Here's what I can and can do. Right. And that's what Yannick really, really showed in that, in that second, at the end of the second and in that third set. Yeah, I think the very quick summary of what Jan did was realize this simple fact. I can play defense better than Medvedev can play offense. 100%. That's 100%. it. That was really the only thing that he had to do. And once he realized that, and once he realized all I have to do is just hit the ball deep, put it right up the middle, make him be the aggressor. You want to play this style? Fine. I'll sit here all night at the baseline. All night. I've got 10 hours of court time. You've got a day. Like, let's, you want to do this? Like, fine. And no, literally. Once, yeah. Once he realized that, I mean, that was it. I mean, Medvedev was losing every single rally that was 10 plus after the second set. I mean, he just completely ran out of gas. 
He looked visibly gassed, and I think that this is kind of you and I's concern, Frankie, for Medvedev moving forward in terms of winning slams. Um, I have no doubt. I think I think you'll get another one just because if you're making this many finals, especially on hard courts, like you're you're gonna you're gonna get one of these matches again. He was up two sets to love today, so it's not impossible. I mean, imagine if he didn't play like four crazy five setters beforehand. Especially, yeah, especially when Novak finally does go away at some point, and it's only Carlos and Sinner left. Like, uh, there's gonna be a slam where one of those guys goes out early, and he only has to beat one of them to win it. And he's beaten Novak on hard too. So I mean, it, it, like we're we're not discounting him, but what our concern is that he's not going to win as many as he could, just because he doesn't have those weapons that you need at the end of a match to close things out. He's got a very unique style, and that he breaks you down, makes you go crazy, makes you hit a ton of balls, which is something that we can all learn from, and it's something that is really really impressive. But, um. He doesn't have that firepower or that next gear like a Jan does, like a Carlos does, like a Novak does. And that is that is exactly what we saw because I noticed in that third, fourth, especially fifth set was when Jan started to like when he wanted to. He's like, all right, I'm going to start cranking on my forehand. And then that was Med was like, oh, God, please don't like, please just miss. Like, please, please miss. You could literally almost see him like praying to his box that Jan would miss. Um so for for Med moving forward, he needs a little bit more better kind of time management and early on in the tournament in terms of court time. Um, but his style really isn't conducive to it, Frankie. I mean, this is kind of how he plays. And I was telling you before, I think Max is uh, Med. Max Med is maxing out. He has maxed out his game, in my opinion. Like I don't think he can go another gear in terms of play style, just because just due to his his style and just due to his kind of talent level. Whereas we know Jan and Carlos can go even even higher, which is really really scary. Um, so I I think that I think Med will get another one. I, he's obviously a threat still at these hard court slams, um, but uh, you know, the, Jan proved this morning, last night, whatever you want to call it for Australia, that you need that next gear if you want to beat these guys and win slams. Yeah, I think he proved that. Sinner that he himself and Carlos Alcaraz obviously are different. These this is the difference between great tennis players, which I think is what you know Sitsipas is, what Zverev is, um, what Dominic Team is. Quite frankly, even though he did win a Slam, uh, versus what being an all-time great is, because I think we're gonna see that Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz. They're going to finish as all-time greats. I'm not saying they're going to be the greatest players of all time. That, I think, is impossible to achieve at this point. But these two are going to be the next sort of generational defining rivalry of the sport. And we've known this for you know years. We've been saying it on this podcast for years. But I think this was the ultimate validation. And I'm sure, Marcus, you even feel a little bit validated seeing Jan win that, like, these two are the ones, right? This is our next Sampras Agassi, Borg, McEnroe, you know, Federer, Nadal, uh, Nadal, Djokovic. This is the next evolution of it. And they're going to push the sport to a place that we we don't even know, quite frankly. And we've got a, we've got a big four again. I never thought that we would ever come back to having a big four, but we have a big four again with Novak, Yannick, 
Carlos and Daniel. I mean, these are clearly the top four best players in the world. And these guys are going to contend. Okay, Daniel outside of uh, Roland Garros pretty much. But these guys are going to be in contention for slams all the time. And it's nice to see that we also have like a slight second tier too. I'm not ready to put Zverev up in that top four tier yet just because he's only made one slam final and he hasn't won one. Um, he needs to still prove himself. I know he beat Carlos, and I'm 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 very uh, I'm very bullish on on the Sverev game right now. So it's not like I don't think he can make it like a big five, but I think right now we've got a, a really good big four in tennis. And tennis is just better when it's like this when people guys are competing and it's like, whoa, this is box office. Like once we start getting to the quarterfinals and on. Yeah, tennis is better when you have consistent players that are in consistent matchups and have rivalries. And pushing I mean, each other to play better. And pushing yeah. each other to play better, 100%. And that, that has been the case in tennis for, you know, 40 years now, since the evolution of McEnroe and Borg, right? So it's, it is extraordinarily, you know, gratifying to see that we're going to have this now in the sport. Um, and I agree, I... I I do, and I think we've we've been saying it for months now. Like there is very clearly a line between these four guys and everybody else. I don't think we're going to see anybody else win a major for quite a long time, just because realistically, to win a major at this point, because these guys occupy the top four spots, right? You're going to have to beat three of them to win a slam. Good luck. All I have to say there. Good luck. And I say that with respect to Zverev, which I think is the ultimate argument for what you're saying, right? Because I do think highly of Zverev. I think that he is the the, the guy that most out of everybody else in the world consistently is beating one of these guys. The problem is, is that he can't beat both of them in a row, no, right? He can't, yeah. The only ones that are able to beat one of the others in a row are each other, right? And so far, the only one that's actually been able to do it is is Jan, quite frankly, right? So... You know, I, I, I just and Carlos I, I, and Carlos, yes. But yeah. I, I think that <clears throat> the game is in a really, really interesting spot. And Marcus, the last thing that I wanted to sort of speak about here, or the last two things, is I wrote down some like questions that I have, and I'll, I'll let you have just like one a one word response, whether it's overreaction or, uh, or fair. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz and his game have stagnated over the past six months. Overreaction or fair? Overreaction, I think that... I think that other guys have gotten better. And I'm speaking, alluding more to Jan, and... I mean, Zvera's beaten him, Zvera's beaten him too. Bad yes. matchup. Bad matchup. I mean, some guys have a kryptonite on tour. Zverev is that kryptonite for Carlos. Um, I don't. I don't want to say it's stagnated, just because I think he's he was mentally burned out from last year. So I don't want to say that his actual game is stagnated. I would have to if we if you asked me that question in another six months, I'd be able to answer that more accurately. But I'm going to say overreaction for now. How about you? For now, overreaction. Fair enough. Because I think that was something I was thinking about, and I, I don't know the answer, to be honest. And it's not like a diss against Carlos. I think just like he's sort of stayed the same, and I've seen everybody else kind of 
raise their level, uh, specifically Jan, but also Novak too has beaten, gotten the better of him every single time post Wimbledon. Uh, the next question I have for you, and we'll speak about this one a little bit more as well, but just the single uh, word one response. Word. Mm-hmm. Novak Djokovic will not win another major. Oh, overreaction. Way overreaction. Yeah. If you if you said, even if you said, well, he won't win another major this year, I would say that's an overreaction. Okay. So here, here is my take on it. I agree. I think that would be a little bit of an overreaction to say that he won't win another major. But I just want everybody to sort of reflect on a few things, right? And think about where we were a year ago when we were having this same conversation, right? A year ago, I thought Novak would be getting close to 30 majors to end his career, just to be perfectly honest with you, right? Now, all of a sudden, I've seen him lose at Wimbledon on center court, a place where he has never lost. Now he's lost. I saw him lose at Davis Cup, where he had not lost in 12 years. And now I've seen him lose at the Australian Open, where he had also never lost in the semifinals or finals. All of those things have happened within the past, like, what is it, seven, eight months. I just think that, like, we're maybe overlooking something that this is, that this might be, might, keyword might, because he was a little bit sick. He has the injury. Like, I'm going to keep all that in context. But I do think that we are starting to see the signs of father time kicking in here. And that's all I want to say. It's a combination of he's not getting younger and Carlos and Jan are entering their physical primes and not even, I mean, they're, they're still, what are they like 22, 21 and like 20? I was going to say they, they still got another three, four years before they're I mean, in their physical primes. I mean, Carlos can't even drink in the United States. I mean, that's crazy. Like, so we're in this weird era where Novak needs to start getting, if he wants to like, run up the slam count which i'm obviously sure he does he needs to do it now and every tournament that window is going to be closing um and we're going to be you and i are going to be paying really close attention from now until june because we really want to see who's going to set themselves up for these next three slams because we have to we can't forget the 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 slam schedule is kind of weird it's always in like a really tight schedule in the summer where we have June, French, July, Wimbledon, and then August, September, we've got the U.S. Open. So right now there's going to be a big break between slams. And we're going to see who's starting to separate from the pack in the next four to five months. Um, and that's a long time. You know, it, it, I mean, for, for Djokovic, this is a long time now at this point. This is like a dog that ages like, a, a, you know, a dog like every day gets, you know, shorter technically. This is what it's kind of like for him right now. And he and we can't forget about the Olympics either. I mean, this is this is this is going to be a crazy year. So, short, long story short, Frankie, I think you'll win another Slam this year. Maybe it'll be his last one. I don't know. I but I kind of think so. I don't know if he gets past twenty six. I don't. I don't even know if he wins another two. It's something that we have to keep our eyes on for because sure. And, and here's why I say this, everyone. When Marcus and I, I think I speak for both of us, think about Novak and where he's going to be most successful, I thought that Australia and Wimbledon would just be locks for him. 
he would just have those for the next three years. Now Wimbledon's not. Australia's not. The U.S. Open has statistically been his worst major and is the most random major, historically anyway, for everybody. And Roland Garros is by far, you know, the most competitive, as I've mentioned on this podcast, major in the world just because there's so many players that specialize on clay. And the most physical, too, which and is it's not the most good for an body. 100% agree, right? I just, I, I'm a little concerned, and maybe it's not concerned is the wrong word, but like my expectations of what, how the rest of Novak's career will play out are not as high as I as as they were at this time last year. Even though the guy won three out of four slams last year. No, but we're seeing we're seeing a, a real shift in the game right now. Um and we're it, it, it was different. It was kind of like okay Carlos was like the only guy now. Now it's two guys. So depending on how these draws shake up, jo- Novak would have to beat both of them which you just alluded to beating two or three out of these guys in a row. You're not going to be able to do that every tournament. Maybe you well, can pull it off once, but to your point, to your point, we're entering another big four where it's like the reason why none of these other guys were able to win majors for 20 years is because you didn't have to beat one. You had to beat at least two, if not three to actually win a major, which is next to impossible. That's why these guys like Andre Rublev, like they're never winning a major. It's just not going to happen. And Unfortunately, they're really good, yeah. and they're really good players, but it's just not going to happen. And I think that Novak has also realized at this point that Sinner and Alcaraz, they're not Sitsipas, they're not Zverev, they're not these guys that oh, no. like yeah. were just clearly not good enough, right? I mean, we said this two years ago. They're not good enough. They aren't. And and now we've got two players that we feel are going to be all-time greats by the time it's all said and done in his era again. And I think that has to be concerning for Novak. And he's obviously the type of guy where it's going to be fine, but it is, it's going to be a lot bumpier than I think I even expected a year ago. Um, so Marcus, yeah. the very last thing that I want to talk about, I know we're going a little bit over here, but no, no, lots of good. breakdown. Um, <laughs> And we've sort of alluded to it with Zverev and Medvedev, I think is the death, quote unquote, of defensive tennis in majors. And I think Marcus sort of alluded to it earlier, right, where if you play this defensive style where you're physically, you know, going at your body for hours and hours standing, you know, 10 feet behind the baseline, right, which is what came into vogue really on the tour with Zverev and with Medvedev, that 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 game style is not really suitable anymore. We've seen Carlos and Sinner playing this very aggressive style in a three out of five set format. You just need to have the goods to win. I'm going to keep this one short because I think this could be a whole another episode, but I think historically... And we will. We will make it a whole other episode, by the way. Yes. Um, historically, offensive tennis has won. If you look throughout the history of the game, uh, it, it's, it, and, and this is kind of going to be like, cause if you watched Novak and Nadal for a period of time where it looked like, you know, defensive tennis is a thing. It, if you watch closely, 
it really wasn't that defensive. Like these guys were serving well, taking balls early, ripping. Like when they had to play defense, yes, they did. But for the most part, they're not just hanging out 30 feet behind the baseline and just praying to God the other guy misses. So defensive tennis has its place, but historically offensive tennis has won. So for me, it's not like defensive game has like ever been like fully alive and like, oh, this is the go-to. Um It'll it'll work for you until a certain point, like we've seen with. I mean, Daniil has one slam, but has kind of fallen short in other ones. And for Sverev, you know, one slam final, uh, and and one loss in that slam final, and that's all he's got to show for it. So if he and, and, Daniil... and what and what is the commonality with how Zverev and Medvedev consistently have blown five set leads? Why, Marcus? It's because they don't have the weapons to close out. And they run out of gas. And they run out of gas. In a three out of five set format, you just run out of gas. There, here's another add-on to these two specifically, because I now that we're kind of talking in this context, not only to play that style is incredibly tiring, one, but two, if you're doing that when you're six foot six, is I mean, it's even bonkers that they're even able to do it because I'm six foot three and I get tired after like two points, okay? Um, but the fact that, but the fact that like these guys can do this for hours on end, but like, if you're a bigger guy like that, you're going to run out of gas sooner. You need more energy. You exert more energy. It's just that it's just human nature. So it's not conducive to winning slams. Can they win masters? For sure. We've seen it, right? These guys can play and that's great. Why they've, and that's why they've been winning masters. Again, yeah. I really want to stress this in a two out of three set format. You can play you that can way and it. win. You can play that way and win 100%. But in a three out of five set format, I do not think you can consistently win majors. You can win a major. It'll happen. Like just through luck, whatever, you know, it'll happen. But I don't think you can consistently do it. Nope. Nope. And it'll be interesting to see if, I mean, now that now that we see Jan and Carlos last point here, Frankie, that they are, um, you know, taking that next step. Are we going to see the adjustments made by a Medvedev, a Tsverev, a Tsitsipas, a Rude, a Runa? What kind of adjustments can we see? Yeah, I mean, it's it is. If I was the rest of the tour, you know, if I'm Alcaraz, to be honest, I'm kind of pumped. Like I've got my guy. Like let's go. Like make make ourselves legends on the game, right? Like, to be honest, if I'm Carlos, I've already got two grand slams. I beat Novak in one of the greatest matches of all time. I'm doing just fine. All right. But if I'm Holger Runa, if I'm Casper Rude, Andre Rublev, Daniil Medvedev, even quite honestly at this point, Zverev, I am terrified. I <laughs> am really scared that I am, I've just lost it. Like, I had a very brief window where these guys either did not exist or they were too young to really put it together, and now I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, uh, that's yeah. just just the honest truth. I would be absolutely horrified. But Marcus, that's going to do it for us here. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening and tuning in. Uh, we'll be back with some more content very soon, and I will leave you all uh, with my favorite tennis fact that I learned a week ago, and I texted to Marcus. Um, fun fact for everybody, Daniil Medvedev, is 2-0 and against Alexander Zverev on clay. Fun fact that I hope you all enjoy. So, <laughs> I'm done. Peace out. Oh, thank you, Frank. Take it easy, guys.